Amen. Welcome to everyone tonight. Glad to have you in service with us. Good to see Adam Day in service with us. Also, Sister Christine Whittles has been out for a couple of weeks with some physical stuff. Good to have her in service tonight. And then also, if you haven't had a chance to meet our new Antiochers, Brother Brandon and Sister Joni Foster and their daughter Bella. Brother, Brother Foster is another Razorback, so we got more Arkansas folks. Sister Foster, you're from Louisiana, right? I thought so. Okay, make sure. So we welcome them. Actually, Brother Mott won Brother Foster when he was in high school, correct? So very exciting. Please welcome them. We're so glad to have them at Antioch. Look forward to them being a part of us. Amen. You're watching us online, wherever you're watching from, we welcome you to part of this service tonight. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, going to be reading with verse number 10. As I said last week, again, I'm tonight not in a hurry, but I want to try to keep, catch you as fresh as I can. I do hope that if you weren't here last week, you have listened or watched, because as I've said, I believe God is speaking to us, doing something in this season right now on Thursday nights particularly, and I feel like we will be in this vein for a couple of weeks. So, I am, I'm trying very hard as always, but kind of with this topic and just some of the things I'm discovering in my studying and things that I'm seeing connected to this, to not jump ahead to not get ahead of what God wants to say when he wants to say it because I I am excited I believe with some places we're going to go and I am expecting God to do some things but at the same time I I want him to do all that he wants to do so uh, I am trying my best to be sensitive to him to make sure we go where and when he wants us to. So I, I want to start with this passage tonight and we will, we will go from here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. First off, let, let, me just, let me just remind you or say to you, if you think that we are, are dysfunctional, if you think as a church we have problems, first of all, you're, you're absolutely 100% correct at least about the problems part, hopefully not the dysfunction part. But if you haven't done it, go read the epistles and find out what Paul said to some churches. In fact, there's a few things in some of the epistles that if they were happening today, there's a really good chance they'd be in the headlines. So, we aren't perfect, we never will be perfect, but we aren't satisfied either. So, listen to what Paul says to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, I beg of you, I entreat you, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all 
speak the same. Man, Paul was a man of great faith. And that there be no. Somebody say no. And that there be no divisions among you. But that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And he goes on in the next couple of verses that some say of they're of, they're of Paul, some say of they're of this person and that person. The Message Bible says it this way, verse 10, I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends, using the authority of Jesus, our Master. I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. <laughs> you must get along with each other. I, think of, I know this is the Message Bible version of it, and I know that, but, but it Paul, the apostle, the one that went into the heavenlies, <laughs> the one of great revelation is now saying, hey, you got to get along. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. I bring this up because some, of, because some from Chloe's family brought a most disturbing report to my attention, that you're fighting among yourselves. I'll tell you exactly what I was told. You're all picking sides, going around, saying, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm Apollos, or Peter is my man, or we're just going to trump all of y'all. I'm in the Messiah group. <laughs> Paul goes on to say, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, because you can't use that as your trump card. No presidential pun intended. I beg you that there be no divisions, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Father, I thank you for your presence that I've felt in this place tonight. Thank you for your spirit that's been in this sanctuary. Thank you for your response to our worship tonight, Lord. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit. Thank you for hearing and I believe answering our prayers tonight as we have prayed for these needs. And I pray God now that you would speak to us through your word, that your spirit would minister to our hearts tonight. I pray God that you would help each one of us to be good ground, that the seed of your word could fall on the ground of our hearts and have the opportunity to produce in our lives what it is you intend for it to produce, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I, uh, I, I experienced something today in a whole new way. I've, I've experienced it to a degree before, but today especially. I went to the, I went to the chiropractor this morning. I've been having uh, issues on and off with my neck. And so I went to the chiropractor this morning, and in the course of it, uh, we, we were talking, uh, chiropractor I go to, actually attended church here for a little while, and uh, he does a great job uh, with chiroprac chiropractic work, or however you're supposed to say that, uh, and he's also just a, a really nice guy, and there's usually just some basic conversation, and so 
In the course of it, he knew about my sickness from last year, and he asked me how I was doing. And I told him that I was, that I was having, I assume, what was still connected to that, some issues, particularly in my shoulders and more so in my right shoulder, uh, just some discomfort and uh, some lack of, I think, what should be the range of motion in my shoulder. And so he said, well, let's, let's, let's check it out. Let's see what's going. Let's, let's kind of, let's see how it's, let's see what's happening. So I'm laying there on the table on my back, and he starts to tell me various positions to put my arm in. One was kind of out like that with my elbow, with my thumb pointing down to the ground. And then what he would do, he would stand on the side of the table, and he would, he would put my leg out, and then he would push against my leg, and I was pushing, I was supposed to push back against him. Now hold on a second. We are trying to figure out what's going on with my shoulder. And you are at my legs. There was probably about seven or eight different positions that he had me put my arm in. And it just so happened that two out of those positions, there was a distinct difference in the strength in my resistance to him pushing on my leg. And so he says, you've got an issue with this muscle here, and you've got an issue, an issue with that muscle there. All right, I'm the preacher. You are the educated doctor. <laughs> I'm going to take your word for what makes no sense. Why what I do with this leg connects to what happens in this shoulder, I don't quite understand, but I got a little bit of a revelation. Brother Brown, you may sit right about in that same spot every Thursday and Sunday night and have basically no connection with Brother Mosley that sits over here. But just because you are not directly connected, just because you're not the forearm connected to the bicep, you may be very distantly connected, you impact what's in the body. So Paul says, I, I beseech you, you know what? Paul said a couple of things in this verse that are some of, would be some of the greatest miracles in all Scripture. I beseech you that there be no divisions among you. <laughs> yeah, right, Paul. <laughs> I mean, we can move some mountains. We got faith for that. But you're saying you don't want any divisions among us. And, and then if that's not enough, I, I pray that you all have the same mind and same judgment. I, I pray that you all speak the same thing. I mean, we, I think we got more faith for a dead person being raised to life than we do that there are no divisions and that we speak the same thing. The part of the problem is some of us are well, not willing to give up our right to our opinion. 
Oh, I got to stay on the path. There's a diversion. Problem is, it's not, it's not speaking the same thing based on what a human says to speak. You, you can, I, I think there's 70, 80 something instruments in an orchestra. Some of them are the same instrument, but isn't there, depending on the, or, but I mean a large full-scale orchestra. How many instruments? Nobody knows. There's no musical people that have a... I'm not asking exact number, just to... About 80 to 100. Some are several violins, maybe several trumpets, maybe several of the same instrument, but there's also a whole lot of different instruments. I, I've been in a couple of different situations where there was an orchestra, and a couple of times I've been in those situations prior to the concert. Or prior to the play, if it was a live orchestra, has anybody ever heard the sound of the orchestra warming up? It is an awful, awful sound. It is a horrible sound. It's like fingernails on the chalkboard kind of sound. But what happens is there is a conductor who steps up with the music. And everybody else has the music. And they all submit to the same musical score. And what was a horrible sound a few minutes ago, all of a sudden becomes an absolutely beautiful sound. Because rather than everybody maintaining their identity and doing what they wanted when they wanted... They submitted to something that was bigger than them. So this is not about Paul was not saying, and I'm not saying that all of you need to submit to my opinion. My opinion is no better than your opinion. You don't have to say it quite that heartily. I mean, you know. My opinion, it's no more, it's no better than yours. And I'm well aware. You have, you, you, some, you know, it's what some of you have one of those kinds of names as well, but I've got one of those names that you meet people and they just think they are the first person to ever think of the joke. <laughs> Your wife got Mr. Right, huh? <laughs> yes. You probably heard that one before, right? Yes. <laughs> So I, I'm not always right, even though I'm always right. So we're not talking about a human being here. Ultimately, we're talking about speaking the same thing as best we can with the Word of God, not a human opinion. But Paul says, I am, I am begging you, I am entreating is what that word beseech means, that you, that there be no divisions, that you be perfectly joined in the same mind and in the same judgment. And I believe that the, the, the most common thing that separates us is the grudges and the offenses that we refuse to deal with. I'm not going to give you a review, a summary. I'm just going to simply remind you of basically one verse. And God turned the captivity of Job. When he prayed for his friends. 
So I, I, that's just kind of the foundation, just a little bit of foundation for where I feel we're going to go tonight. I, I think, this is my opinion, <laughs> but I think the greatest, the greatest human need is salvation. Some say it's love, some, but bottom line is it doesn't matter what other need you have fulfilled. If you don't have salvation, you are lacking. And one of the, one of the absolute primary components of salvation is forgiveness. In fact, that's when we especially when we quote from the day of Pentecost that's the that's what's that's what basically is stated as the first step in the process repent and then he says be baptized why according to the king james it says for the remission but the greek word there is the forgiveness and so it is you, you don't get to the holy ghost amen you don't get to the Holy Ghost. Speak, Lord, thy servant hear it. <laughs> oh, your voice kind of sounds like Dylan Nielsen for some reason, but so be it. <laughs> you don't get to, you know, that there is. How many of you, how many of you received the Holy Ghost before you were baptized? How many of you got the Holy, you spoke in tongues before? How many of you got the, got, you spoke in tongues after you were baptized? For the first time, I mean. So we, we, we got it. It says repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. So we know that sometimes some folks speak in tongues before they're baptized. But there's one thing that is not flexible in there. Whether you get the Holy Ghost before you're baptized, whether you speak in tongues or not before you're baptized, you must repent before. You must be involved in the process of forgiveness. And so one of the greatest gifts, I know the greatest gift is the Holy Ghost, but if I could sort of separate this out as, a, as, a, as its own component, one of the other greatest gifts that we ever receive is the gift of forgiveness. God forgiving us, last week touched on Job, prayed for his friends, and that's what turned his captivity. And and again, not trying to repeat last week, but Job, I think Job had every right to be upset with his friends. Job had every right to be angry at his friends because they were not real good friends. But you want to talk about somebody that has the right to not forgive. I do know of one person that has the right to not forgive. God, if anybody has it, God has the right to not forgive. Because I, how, how much more of a betrayal do you get than what you created with your own hands, what you formed in your own image now completely disregards you? Disobeys you, wants nothing to do with you. I, I, I think God has a right to not forgive. And yet God is the greatest forgiver there is. So, 
when you and I choose to not forgive, I think more than anything else, more than anything else we do, by choosing to not forgive, we are elevating ourselves into a position of God. When I refuse to give you forgiveness that God has so freely given me, I'm actually sort of elevating myself above God. God's willing to forgive, but I'm not. Matthew 6, verse 12. There, there, let me back up for a second before we get there. I, I, sh- I should have, it was one of those times in which I need my Bible and I didn't bring it. Is there, is there anything wrong with this book? Okay, this is not a trick question. The lack of response concerns me, but I'll give you the credit that you maybe are a little bit Cynical that I'm so one more time. Is there anything wrong with this book? The Word of God. Is there anything missing from the Word of God? Is there anything that that is now uh, broke in the Word of God? Is there anything that God Himself is missing? Is there anything about God that is now broke? No. So then if there's some things in my life and your life that are not working, He... This is not the problem. That's not the issue. He's the same. His word's the same. His power remains the same. So if there's some things off in my life, then then it's not Him. It's not His word. And I I believe, I believe, and this is part of where I really want to hurry up and I I wanted to get to it when I left last week and I've waited a whole week and I'm going to have to wait another week the way way it feels, the way it seems. But there's some folks here that I believe God wants to do something for you that you need because you're not getting what you need because you're not properly dealing with some things. I, I, let me just let me just throw this out there. This is one thing that I am trusting and believing that over the next couple of weeks as we continue down this path that God is going to do. I, I don't know if I have ever heard of a day and time in which so many people are so battled in their minds. I mean... Major battles, male and female. Well, let me say it the other way, female and male, because it's, I think, it, I don't know that it's more common, it's probably just more readily talked about with regards to the ladies. But there's men that are sitting here that are having just as much battles in your mind as any female in this place. There are some promises in the Word of God. There are, he says, perfect love casts out all fear. Paul said, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of a sound mind. A sound 
mine. And there are people in this room tonight that if not some of you on a daily basis, many of you on a weekly basis are going through some absolutely crazy battles in your mind. That's not the will of God. So if it continue, if we pray and it continues to happen and there've been, there've been others, I, I, my brother sometimes, brother Shelton in the past when he's, they've called people, if you're back, I mean, we filled this altar up with people who's battling in their minds. We pray and we believe and maybe some get relief for a few days, but they go right back in the same thing. There's too many promises in the Word of God. That's not the way it should be. So at some point, we got to decide, is there something we're missing? Is there something we're not doing? Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts. How? When? As we forgive our debtors, you forgive me as I forgive those around me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For, for if there is, there is, there is no sin that is too despicable for you to do that God won't forgive. You could be the worst serial killer in all of history, done the absolute most despicable of crimes to humanity, and you repent and God will forgive. And yet, the Lord says, if, 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 if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, but, if you forgive not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't have to earn forgiveness. I don't have to pay some kind of a price equal to the sin I committed to get forgiveness. But there is one thing that will prevent me from getting forgiveness that Jesus Himself said. Pray that you are forgiven as you forgive. And I will forgive you your trespasses as you forgive those who trespass against you. But if you don't forgive them their trespasses, I will not forgive you yours. And so I say tonight, I preach, teach, whatever this is, to some people sitting here with unforgiven sin. You worship, you may even have felt the presence of God, and that's all well and good. But I teach to people tonight with unforgiven sin. Because you got stuff in your heart that you won't forgive somebody else of. And according to the Word of God, if that's the case, He doesn't forgive you. Oh, hallelujah. And so we've got open doors that have not been shut because we got stuff we won't let go of 
What is one of the greatest challenges that human beings face to forgiving? It's the idea that if I forgive you, what I'm doing is saying what you did is okay. Anybody ever had that struggle? Come on, be honest. If I forgive you for what you did, that was wrong. My forgiveness is now saying it's okay. Slight problem with that. If you and I only got forgiveness based on that, we would never be forgiven. When I ask for His forgiveness and He freely grants me forgiveness, He is not now saying, well, what you did is okay. So if He doesn't look at me and say, you know what, I withhold forgiveness, because if I forgive you, I'm now saying what you did is okay. What right do I have to withhold forgiveness? Because if I forgive you, I'm now saying what you did is okay. Listen, I was going to read it in a minute. I'll go ahead and read it right now, and then I'll read some more scripture to you. The word forgive according to Webster's, according to Webster's means to give up resentment of a, of or claim to requital. It's to forgive, an, for example, to forgive an insult. It also means to grant relief from, pre, from payment of, to forgive a debt. It also means to cease to feel resentment against. Now that is the English definition of forgive, which in my mind is kind of what I would expect the word forgiveness to mean. But listen to what the Greek word for forgiveness in the New Testament means. According to Thayer's, it means, are you ready? It means to send away. It means to bid, to go away or depart. It means to send forth, to yield up, to emit. It means to let go, let alone, let be. It means to let go, give up a debt. By not demanding it, it means to give up. It means to keep no longer. Listen to this other definition. It means to permit or allow to not hinder. So ultimately, me granting you forgiveness is not about you. My willingness to forgive Brother Nandy for something he's done wrong to me, I am sending away what would linger and impact and affect me. I am sending it away. I'm not holding on to it and possessing it. I am sending it away. Oh, hallelujah. Brother Gonzalez said several years ago, I forget what setting it was, it may have been at a camp meeting he preached in Maryland, or it may have been in one of our services, I don't remember, I don't know that it's original with him, but he's the first one I've heard it said. He said that carrying a grudge or unforgiveness, holding on to unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and then watching for somebody else to die. So, you offended me, I'm drinking the poison, but I'm waiting on you to die. You're living on while I'm the one that's dying. To 
send away, to bid to go away or depart. You've offended me, you've wronged me, you've hurt me, but I'm sending it away. Not going to let it sit in the back of my mind and chew and nag on me. Not going to let it steal my praise. Not going to let it steal my peace. Not going to let it interfere with my relationship with God. I'm sending it away. Matthew 18, verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, I say unto thee, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. The question was, how often do we forget? Not seven times, but seventy times seven. Well, yeah, we know he was talking about seventy times seven for just minor infractions. He put no category on what was to be forgiven. And in case anybody misses the point, it's not for you to sit and count off 70 times 7. I think part of what he was saying there was, you are to forgive way more times than you'll ever be offended. (laughs) Your forgiveness should way supersede anything that's done to you. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants? And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. Ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Wow. How awesome. Time for celebration, right? But the same servant. I don't think it's, I don't think the terminology used here is equivalent to dollars. But if we, let's just substitute dollars and it works enough. He comes in with a $10,000 debt that he has no ability to pay. A $10,000 debt with no ability to pay and he is completely forgiven of the debt. It, it wasn't that, that the one he owed the debt to said, okay, I'll work with you. You need some time. You need some opportunity to earn this money and pay me back. I'll give you time. He wiped away the debt, completely forgave the debt. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred dollars. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying... Pay me that thou owest. He just got forgiven of ten grand and he's now trying to collect a hundred dollars. And he laid his hands on him. Pay me the, by the, took him by the throat. Pay me the debt thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Sounds like an echo. And he, would not. 
but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So his fellow servants saw what was done. They were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. So they come back to the guy that forgave the $10,000 debt, tell him what the guy did trying to collect $100, and now look what happens. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all thy debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. I wonder if there's some people battling some stuff in your mind tonight because the Lord has let the tormentors come. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to try to practice what I just said to you at the beginning. If Paul can spend time writing a letter that can't just be sent by email or mail, and he's going to take time in that letter to say, you need to get along, then I think on a Thursday night to a bunch of committed, dedicated people, I can say what I'm saying tonight. So likewise, so likewise, so likewise, just as what happened in this story, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Make sure you get what he said is going to be done. Not that your debt is just going to be held against you, but all previous debt, all Previous debt, all previous debt that I forgave you of, I am now holding you accountable for that. So could it be there's some people here tonight, you're not dealing with the lie you told to your boss today. You're not dealing dealing with what you cheated on your taxes on last year. You're dealing with stuff from 10, 15, 20 years ago because you won't forgive somebody their debt. Not only is he not forgiving you your current debt, but he's going back to the beginning and say, now you owe all. Oh, my goodness. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't earn salvation. You can't do something to become worthy of it. But he said, if this is what you do, this is what I'm going to do. If you won't forgive, then I won't forgive you. How amazed the devil can do nothing to interfere with God's forgiveness of you. The devil can do absolutely nothing to interfere with God's forgiveness of you. Nothing can separate us from the love. My sin actually does is not the ultimate separator from God's love. The ultimate separator is my lack of repentance over my sin. But God doesn't punish me automatically over my sin. But according to this, He does remove the blood from my sin when I refuse to forgive others. Here's, here, here's, here's part of the challenge, folks. Some of you sat last week and some of you are sitting tonight and you're taking inventory of brothers and sisters in the church 
and you're checking off one after the other. I don't, I don't have an issue with them. I don't, I don't have an issue with them. I don't have any problems with them. I, I used to have a problem with them, but I've dealt with that. And problem is some of you are leaving a very important person off that list. It's the one you live with. Your spouse. Oh, I don't have any problem with my spouse. You just hardly ever say a kind word. Everything's sharp. You bring up yesterday and the day before and last month and last year. No, you're good. You just don't think he provides well enough for you and she doesn't do her job as a wife and a mother. And, but no, you have no issues. And there's contention, there's confusion, there's turmoil, there's interrupted flows of anointing in and through your life. Oh, hallelujah. Years ago, I really was a great desire of mine for my ministry, my preaching and teaching to be real. I don't think I was counting on it being this real. I, I, I just said this to my wife a couple of days ago. Not trying to be negative, not trying to be a doomsday, whatever. I am greatly concerned of what is possibly the degree of dysfunction that we live with in our homes. I guess I'm having to make up for some of those fun ones, Brother Middleton. <laughs> we can cut a rug on Sunday night. We can do our dance. We can put our praise on. We can do this and do that. And we can't get along with each other. We got parents yelling at kids and kids yelling at parents. Husbands and wives that can't stand each other. Bless God, we can come to church and have church. This ought not to be. What we do here should affect every single area of our lives. We, oh Lord... I wish I could say this was just in the Holy Ghost. Unfortunately, I'll be honest with you, it's not just in the Holy Ghost. I feel it in my spirit, but I also know it in my flesh. We got families, extended families in this church that are divided. Holy Ghost filled apostolics. I'm talking about the the saved folks. I'm not talking about the sinners in the family. Quiet is good. Quiet is good. Quiet is good. Quiet is good. I'm talking saved folks where there is such tension that you don't want to have anything to do with each other. Please, somebody tell me how in the name of God, is that normal in the church? 
Or let me ask it this way. How is that acceptable? So it doesn't matter if it's a fellow brother or sister in the church or if it's my parents, my children, or my spouse. My grudges against my wife have just as much impact on me as my grudges against one of you. Maybe even more. Who was it? What was it? How did? Sorry, I can't pick it right off the top of my head right now, but he talks about if you got odd against your wife, and how does he say it? No, talking about where your prayers are hindered. There's one where he names your spouse. You got issues. Well, I'm, this is a great paraphrase, okay, for all you to the letter of the law people. I confess, I'm paraphrasing because I'm not picking it off the top of my head right now. If you got issues with your spouse, your prayers. Oh my goodness. I wonder, I wonder, I'm sorry, I I know this is probably holy ground again, but I wonder how many times the devil calls some of his imps around and says, hey guys, watch this. And they stand back and do nothing because believers are fighting against something that's not even there. (laughs) You're rebuking a devil that's not even present. Oh, Lord. Your prayers aren't working and you're binding the devil and casting stuff out and the devil's sitting outside your house looking in laughing because he's going, I'm not the problem. Problem is you got stuff against her and she's got stuff against you. I don't have to get in your house and mess it up. You've taken care of that for yourselves. Because one that's greater than I is fighting against you because he's responding to you saying, until you deal with this, I'm not even listening. Some of you are praying and God's going, ah, la, 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 la. I don't know what he sings because I don't think he sings to himself. So I don't, he's not singing praise or worship because that'd be like talking to himself. So, Oh, my word. Mm. It's a, we, we do, and I'm not even getting to where I thought I was going. This isn't fun. It's amazing how well we do compartmentalizing stuff. I'll go to church, and I'll put them in this box over here. And as long as they're in that box, I can do my thing. There have been, I will tell you, there have been a few times I've walked to a pulpit where the lady that usually sits on the end there and I are not getting along real well. And one of us was too stubborn to make it right. And I, God, please, you got, you got to have a little grace today. <laughs> you got to have a little mercy. My, my point is, in the back of my mind, I know 
Something's off. And I can ignore it all I want to. And I can try to put on my spiritual facade all I want to. But if I'm not dealing with what I need to deal with, I am causing, not the devil, I am causing God to have to interfere and resist some things. I've I've quoted it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. Let me read it to you tonight. Matthew 5, 23. If you bring your gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Again, I know I've said it the last couple of weeks when I've quoted it. I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat it again. Notice what he says here. He didn't say if you've got an issue with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go to your brother. He said if you know your brother has an issue with you, You leave your gift at the altar and you go to the brother that has an issue with you. Barnes note says this with regards to bringing your gift to the altar. The Pharisees were intent on the external act of worship. They looked not at all to the internal state of mind. If a man conformed to the external rites of religion... However much envy and malice and secret hatred he might have, they thought he was doing well. Our Savior taught a different doctrine. It was of more consequence to have the heart right than to perform the outward act. Did you you hear that? It's more important to have the heart right than to perform the outward act. If, therefore, says he, a man has gone so far as to bring his gift to the very altar and should remember that anyone had anything against him, it was his duty there to, it was his duty there to leave his offering and go and be reconciled. While a difference of this nature existed, his offering could not be acceptable. A difference of what nature? That your brother... Do you hear what it's saying, folks? It's not saying that my gift won't be accepted if I have aught against my brother. He's saying if you know your brother has aught against you and you're not dealing with it, your gift is not accepted. He was not to wait until the offended brother should come to him. He was to go and seek him out and be reconciled. In case you didn't hear that right, let me read that one more time. He was not to wait until the offended brother should come to him, he was to go and seek him out and be reconciled. Can you read it one more time or did you get it? So now the worship of God will not be acceptable, however well performed externally, until we are at peace with those we have injured. (laughs) So we get in here on Sunday night, 
And Sister Trish gets the keyboard cranking and the drums are on a fast tempo. And bless God, we get down in the altar and we got our step going and externally it looks good. But God's sitting there going, nope, don't work. Looks really good on the outside. You're doing it all right on the outside. You got your praise on on the outside. But just like I told Samuel, I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. And while the outside may appear to be all together, there's some internal stuff that's got to be dealt with. To obey is better than sacrifice. He that comes to worship his maker filled with malice and hatred and envy and at war with his brethren is a hypocritical worshiper and must meet with God's displeasure. God is not deceived and he will not be mocked. God is not deceived and he will not be Well, Brother Wright, come on now. It's just normal for us to have some issues with each other. You're right. It is. Absolutely right. And there are days that my house, I kind of wish I was someplace else. The tension, the conflict, the issues people are having with each other. But you know what? That's my home. And that's my family. And I've never changed my family because we had a bad day. I've never tried to sell a child yet. Don't have any intent to. I've never tried to get a new wife because she messed up. Because she made me mad. So just because you offend me or I offend you is reason to get upset with him, is reason to leave the church. I mean, what a too bad things aren't a little bit more like they were with Noah and the ark. Because, I mean, if you're on that ark and you get offended with somebody else on the ark, Where are you going? We 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 got we we've got uh, my my uh, my my in laws my in law side of the family, and and there's we're blessed to have two of my nieces now that I'm not only an uncle but I'm now their pastor. I never imagined that day coming. Wow, how wonderful! So I. I not just a matter of maybe one of my in-laws watching. They're here and they're listening, but they know this. We've done for years, most years, the last several years, Christmas time, everybody comes to our house. We're kind of centrally located. So it's about 20 people in our house. Everybody has learned longer is not better. And that most of the time, shorter is sweeter. Because even those that may really love each other in close quarters for too long. I 
I'm sure it's not just my wife and I that slipped off to our bedroom. There's probably some sister-in-laws and brother-in-laws that slipped off to theirs. And somebody had to talk somebody off the ledge. Because it doesn't matter how loving and close the family is. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a neat thing. It, I, I, I never quite saw this. I, I guess at times I lost hope for this day. But, but for the most part now, I watch my, my kids and I watch the relationships that they have with each other. And it's a wonderful thing. I watch my daughters and their friendship. And it's an amazing thing to watch their closeness. I watch my sons and their friendship with each of the girls. And that's an amazing thing to watch. I'm trying to call those things that are not as though they were. And one day, one day, one day, one day, one day, having seen them afar off, And trying to, per, trying to embrace and not quite yet persuaded. <laughs> Every now and then there's a glimmer of hope. <laughs> but even in a loving family, you rub each other wrong. I, I'm sorry, kids. Sorry, girls. It's sorry. One day you'll get to, hopefully you'll get to preach and pay your kids back for what I did to you. Yes, I know what I said. Sometimes you reap what you sow. Other times you sow what you've reaped. So I've had to sit where they are. Now it's my turn. But I even watch my daughters with an amazing relationship that they have that every now and then, one of them's in the bedroom with my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one walks out five minutes later. The other one thinks they're the first one to come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We understand that's the way families work, and we understand we're not going to let stuff sit that divides us and separates us. We may not always deal with it right away or as quickly as we should, but we also realize we're going to deal with it because we're not going to let something separate our family. God, please help us to get the same kind of attitude with our church family as we often have with our natural family. So all of that to get back to, you can't tell me that all of those days stuck on that stinky, smelly ark. (laughs) That they weren't laying down in their cubbyhole of the ark at night and Sister Ham was gnawing at his ear and Sister Japheth was in the other side of the ark gnawing at his ear and both of them, you know, I, I I can just sort of imagine Sister Ham say, you know, Japheth... Your, sister, your sister-in-law, she didn't do any of her responsibilities today. I not only had to do mine, but I also had to make up for hers as well. And she was probably in the other end of the boat saying the exact same thing about her. And yet no one left the ark. Guarantee you there had to be a couple days where them wives were going to their part of the ark and they were telling their husband, if your mother tells me one more time what to do, it'll be the last time. 
See, in a normal setting, you you know, you're together with family and in that situation. She one more time, she I'm I'm we're going home. I can't help we're supposed to be here three more days. We're going home. We're leaving. Where do you go when you're only on when you're on the only ark? And there's nowhere else to go. You decide, you know what? You might be the sandpaper that's rubbing me the wrong way, but we got to figure this out. So let, let, me, let, me, let me move along here. Get to where I was ultimately thinking we would go tonight. I'll try to wrap it up in the next 30 minutes. I want, I want you to get ready because you're about to hear some verses. It's, it's kind of sad sometimes we lock certain passages and verses into certain settings. And I'm about to read to you some verses that I really for a long time have kind of wondered if there was more to it that in the light of last week and this week and my studying and studying and trying to let the Lord not only deal with me about what to say but also let Him deal with me about me I've gone back to these verses, and I think it's more than what we don't normally just use them for. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as you... Eat of this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Anybody recognize these verses? These are the communion verses. We use these verses for communion. And then this next part. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So what do we normally do a lot of times at communion? We don't want to drink and we don't want to eat unworthily, so we need to pray. We need to repent. We need to ask God forgive us. You don't need to eat this cracker and drink this grape juice if you have not done that, if you haven't repented. And we leave it right there. And he says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, what cause? Unworthily eating and drinking, unworthily partaking, participating in the body. For this cause, many are what? Weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. New Living Translation says it this way, Anyone who gets this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you see, what we've always done in my opinion, we've locked that body of Christ in. I'm eating this bread, I'm drinking this juice, as a representation of the body that was sacrificed on Calvary. There's a whole other part to the body of Christ, folks. 
The body of Christ is not just about the body that walked on this earth. The body of Christ is just as much, just as much, just as much about you and I that have been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. And so now you and I are the body of Christ. That is why you should examine yourself before eating and drinking before eating the bread and drinking the cup, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Bible Exposition Commentary says this with regards about the worthy part. Paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake of the supper, but only that we should partake in a worthy manner. At a communion service in Scotland, the pastor noted that a woman in the congregation did not accept the bread and cup from the elder, but instead sat weeping. The pastor left the table and went to her side and said, Take it, my dear, it's for sinners. And indeed it is, but sinners saved by God's grace, must not treat the supper in a sinful manner. If we are to participate in a worthy manner, we must examine our own hearts, judge our sins, and confess them to the Lord. To come to the table with unconfessed sin in our lives is to be guilty of Christ's body and blood, for it was sin that nailed Him to the cross. If we will not judge our own sins, then God will judge us and chasten us until we confess and forsake our sins. The Corinthians neglected to examine themselves, but they were experts at examining everybody else. The Corinthians neglected to examine themselves, but they were experts at examining everybody else. When the church gathers together, we must be careful not to become religious detectives who watch others. When the church gathers together, we must be careful not to become religious detectives who watch others but who failed to acknowledge our own sins. If we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, we eat and drink judgment, chastening to ourselves, and that is nothing to take lightly. What greater way? I don't, this is, this is, I'm giving you doctrine, giving you what I believe, what seems to be the case to me. What greater, greater way can I unworthily participate in the Lord's body than by holding something against another part of the body. What greater way can I drink and eat unworthily than I'm trying to partake of His body while also at the same time holding something against another part of the body? Now listen, if you would, please, forgive me for a little bit more reading here, but I just, I want you to hear it. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, and this is 
this is what this this kind of summarizes what for I think for years has kind of been something that I've questioned and wondered if there was more to these verses than just using them for communion. The Corinthians despicable behavior at the communal meal was not without result which Paul proceeded to point out. Nowadays when this passage is read before participating in the Lord's Supper it usually it is usually intended to produce soul-searching introspection and silent confession to Christ so that no one will sin against the spiritual presence of the Lord by irreverent observance. Anybody ever been in one of those communion services? We're at, uh, we're at some point, I can't remember, we did it a couple of weeks, we did it beginning of the year, I can't remember if I did it that night. I think I, I think I did because we normally do it. We're about to do this, but before we do this, Anybody ever been there? Before we do this, we are going to repent. Right? We make it a real sober thing. And then communion's over, and we move on, and we forget about it. Christ, we make confession to Christ so that no one will sin against the spiritual presence of the Lord by irreverent observance. Paul's application was probably more concrete no doubt this no doubt his experience on the Damascus road contributed to this for the body of Christ is the church the body of Christ is the church which consists of individual believers his body the church is also pictured by the bread of communion thus to sin against another believer is to sin against Christ. Those guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord were those who despised a poorer member by utter disregard for his need. These came to the remembrance of Christ's work of unity and reconciliation with a trail of deeds that had produced disunity and alienation. If these would examine, test to prove, to approve themselves, they would see that they lacked God's approval in this, in this behavior. They should seek out the wronged brother and ask his forgiveness. Only then could a true spirit of worship flourish. Coming to the Lord's Supper without that sin confessed brought judgment on the guilty participants. Only by recognizing or properly judging the unity of the body of the Lord and acting accordingly could they avoid bringing judgment on themselves. I wonder how many of us are trying to partake of His body while ignoring things we have against other parts of His body. And so therefore we partake unworthily. And Paul said, there are many, many weak and sickly among you. Both of those words, sickly and weak, have a very similar meaning. And the meaning itself to me implies that it's not necessarily, I'm not saying it's not, but the meaning to me implies that it's not necessarily 
or it's, let me say it this way, it's not first and foremost about physical sickness. It is about spiritual sickness because those words weakly or the words weak and sickly basically mean to be weak, to be feeble. It means to be without strength. It means to be powerless. So I wonder if there's some folks here tonight that are struggling in your walk with God. You are lacking strength. You are lacking power. That the problem is you are unworthily participating in the body of Christ. Not unworthy because you're not good enough. Not unworthy because you haven't had certain accomplishments to earn. No, 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 no. Unworthy because you're not doing some things you should, you should do. Are there any sick and weak among you? Are there any that are powerless? What what did Jesus say? He that is least in the kingdom is what? Is greater than John. He that is least is greater than John the Baptist. So there's no such thing as an individual that has insufficient power. If there is an individual that is powerless, that is a part of the body, they may need to be examining some things. So I've said it already and I'm going to say it in closing. I believe there's some folks in this place tonight that you're battling some things over and over and over because you're not shutting some doors that need to be shut and you're providing the enemy access. You know what? If if on the other side of this door there was, uh, uh, I guess, something that would be fairly reasonable, not this time of year per se, but if on the other side of this door, if you've never seen the other side of this door, there's a a landing several foot. If on the other side of this door was about four or five snakes, under the current circumstances, I'll sit right here and drink my coffee. Because there is no access. The problem comes when the door... No, let me make sure there's... The problem comes is when we allow an opening in the door. I have no worry about what's on the other side getting in when the door's closed. But when the door's open... Everything has access. And, of course, some of you are brave enough. The Lord did not choose me for the rod and Moses like like He did with Moses. If I'd have thrown a rod down and it turned to a snake, there would not have been any picking it up by the tail. (laughs) Because the second it turned into a snake, 
there would have been some serious cloud of dust. Because I'd have been gone. <laughs> Say what, God? <laughs> We're going to have to have some fleeces and some serious confirmation if I'm picking up a snake. As long as the door is shut, I don't have to worry. But if the door's open, I now have to constantly fight. If I was a brave enough man and there really were snakes on the other side of the door and I had a stick, I could stand and fight and poke and try to knock them back. The problem is if there's too many of them, some, some of them are going to slip by. And so I'm talking, teaching, preaching, whatever it is, more so hopefully God's talking to some people that you're standing at the door of your mind and you're trying to poke some thoughts back. And you're trying to keep some thoughts out because the door is open. And at best, you're keeping some out, but some are slipping in. you got to get the door closed. Put on the helmet of salvation. I'm, I know there's a lot of deep theological stuff to that, but let me just tell you what my application of the helmet of salvation is. If I've got the helmet of salvation on, the enemy can throw all kind of rocks of thoughts at my head, and all they're going to do is bounce off. They're not going to find a lodging place. I tell you what, folks, I, I'm, I've said it already, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't, maybe it's always been this way and I just wasn't aware or realize it, but I don't ever recall a day in which so many people are having so many battles in the mind. There's people sitting in this place tonight, your circumstances in your life really are actually not that bad. You're fairly healthy, your spouse is fairly healthy, your kids are fairly healthy, you got a decent job, you may not be making the most money. Those of you that are single, you're fairly... But yet you are bombarded. People on the verge of breaking down. Is, is that really the way this is supposed to be? Somebody help me, is that really? Is it really the way this is supposed to be? And could it be we've got some that are weak, sickly? Because you're not willing to let go of some stuff. And so you're providing an opening for the enemy to attack your mind, bombard your mind with all kinds of thoughts. You've got no power. You're weak. You're lacking spiritual strength because you're trying to partake of his body while holding something against another part of the body. I, I, I think I said it last week. I'll say it tonight, whether I did last week or not. I, I'm sorry, folks, but I do not believe our greatest challenge and opposition is the devil. Greater is he that is in us not saying the devil's not fighting, and I'm not saying we don't need to fight the devil. But when we allow openings, when we allow stuff to happen that we have the solution for, it's not about the devil. If I'm not forgiving you your trespasses against me, 
and he's uncovering the blood from my trespasses. It's not passages. It's not the devil. Trespasses, not passages. I, I, I'm, I think I'm going to do tonight basically what I did last week, and that is we're about to pray. I'm not about to give some big altar call. Not sure we're quite there yet for some of us. I, I believe God wants to bring us, us, to a fresh place of clean hearts. Clean hearts. Free from grudges and offenses. Free from things that have the right, the ability to hinder us. I Forgiveness, I'm sending it away so that it can't hinder me. I'm sending stuff away so that it can't cause issues in my spirit, in my life. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight. God, help us not to be like the Pharisees, so caught up in external practices and external religion that we ignore what may be lingering in our hearts and our spirits. God, I pray that you would help every one of us tonight. If we are in any way unworthily participating, partaking of your body, participating in your body, trying to be a part of your body while we also hold grudges and offenses toward other parts of your body, God, so that we are not vulnerable to weakness. We are not vulnerable to being powerless. I pray that you would cleanse us, that you would wash us tonight, and that you would, by your grace, help us to do what we need to do, God, to remove every opening, every opportunity of influence that we may grant the enemy every bit of access that we might be granting the enemy in our lives because of trespasses we're holding against others that is therefore opening us up to the influence of the enemy. Help us tonight. Help us tonight, God. God, I don't believe that we are subject to having to battle everything this world battles. And there's so many people in this world that are living on medication, living off of drugs and alcohol to try to silence the battle of their minds. And people sit here tonight, God, that fortunately are not choosing to use those ways to silence the battle, but they're struggling with the battle of their minds. We need victory, God. But I also believe that you've given us some steps. You've given us the way to achieve that victory. Our flesh may oppose it. Our Will may be opposed to it, but God, you've given us the way. Help us tonight, God. God, I ask you tonight, search me. Search me, God. If there's anything in me, if there's anything I'm not seeing in me, if there's any ought I have in me against a brother or a sister that somehow I'm missing, I pray, God, that you would reveal it to me and give me the grace to do what I need to do that there would not be any disconnect of the flow of your Spirit in my life. That my connection to the body would be what it needs to be, that I can receive from you what I need to receive. In the name of Jesus Christ.
Jesus' name. Receive that word into your spirits right now. Just open your heart for another moment here. God, let your word, let the seed of your word settle in our hearts, God. Not that it would just spring up today and be gone tomorrow, but the seed would find good ground that it might produce a lasting result, lasting fruit in our lives, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, 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 thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, praise God, praise God, God bless you. Pray that you have a blessed remainder of your week. In Jesus' name.